Amen. I would say this one thing. I feel like I was not able to communicate the invitation of the week of prayer and fasting as well as I wanted to. It felt like some people who weren't able to fast or chose not to fast didn't feel like they could participate in the morning worship sessions at 7 a.m. or the evening worship sessions at 6 p.m. Some people are like, I'm not fasting. I can't go to that. So before next year begins, I want to just put a, uh, I want to squelch that completely. It doesn't matter if you aren't fasting or aren't led to give up anything. You need to press in with worship and prayer and fellowship. So next year, put it on your mind right now, we're all gonna be there every single session. We averaged, I think, 35 people every single morning, which to me was robust and full, such a good group of people to worship at 7 a.m. And then our evening sessions averaged over 100 every single night with almost just under 200 on the last night for a total of 787 people that came through the doors. But who's counting? Thanks, David, all for keeping track. So it was awesome. Let's clap to the Lord. And again, to summarize it all, I believe the Lord spoke to my heart and to our leadership team that he's going to do what he's going to do, and we don't have to force it. We just need to keep our eyes on him. Just stay at it. Stay at it. Faithful and true. Stay at it. Steady and slow wins the race. So uh, with that in mind, one more prayer request and update. Next Monday, what's the date today? I have no idea. Next Monday, February 6th, we're going to be going before the city council, uh, South Beach Church, and we're applying for a CUP, conditional use permit. Now that our land is zoned into the residential area, you can build houses and other things. You can't build a church in a residential area without a special permit. It's called a conditional use permit. And so churches have to apply for those permits, and the city council have to approve those. And what happens then is they allow all the neighbors around the area to say, hey, got any problems with this new project moving forward? And so that's where we need prayer for God to equip us with wisdom and protection and discernment moving forward in favor and green lights with the city council, with the planning commission, with our neighbors. Our desire is to be the light of the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden, to be a blessing to our community. We do know that the enemy is not happy about what's going on, so keep praying for that to happen. Also, put this on your prayer list. Last year, before the end of the year, we began our fund raising project and we set a target number of two million dollars in order to build phase one debt free and so we began to raise that two million dollar mark i want to change that two million dollar mark to one million dollars because we have raised enough money to get us to that area where we now in 2023 need to raise another one million dollars just one million dollars let me ask a question how many guys think that we can raise an additional one million dollars in 2023 yes yes I think we can too. How many of you guys want two or three donors to take care of everything? I do too. I do too. But let me speak for a minute. As much as that would be awesome, two or three donors figuring it out, wouldn't that be awesome? And God has used what we call large donors or high-capacity givers. It's a, it's a gift in the book of Romans that actually says you have the spiritual gift of giving. God has equipped certain people with unique abilities in that way. And it would be awesome, and God has used some very, very generous and gifted donors in our church. But I think that there's a principle that God wants us in his body to walk in, which is where we all own the mission where we all own the responsibility, where we all own the obligation, where we all own the fruit, where each and every one of us, as we're equipped and as we're gifted, offer to God what he's given to us, faithfully, responsibly, worshipfully. Each and every one of us have at least two mites to give, just a little bit, it might be all you have, and Jesus sees your two mites and says, whoa, did you see how she gave? Did you see how, he, not what he gave, how? From their hearts. 
from their, from their needs. And I just want to encourage you guys. And let me just kind of ramble on just a little bit. I, I do CrossFit. And within CrossFit, there's all kinds of methodologies uh, towards accomplishing fitness. And one of the methodologies of CrossFit is the recruitment of all muscle groups in order to do a certain task. Most gyms and approaches to fitness use what's called an isometric approach where you isolate one muscle group and do some curls for the girls. You know, I've heard that said before. You know, you know some biceps, and you just kind of target one area, quadriceps, and, you know, one area. CrossFit, though, recruits all of the muscle groups together to accomplish one thing. If I, if I were going to use my biceps to pick up 200 pounds off of the ground, it would be, it would be impossible for just, maybe I could do it, just kidding. But, you know, it would be impossible. But if I chose to use my back, and my hip flexors, and my quadriceps, and my hamstrings, and my calves, and my posterior chain. And I grabbed that 225 pounds and decided to put it above my head. Using all of my muscle groups together, I actually could do it. I couldn't do it with just one group of muscles. And I tell you what, there is a spiritual principle in the body of Christ where God has equipped every man and every woman with a spiritual blessing, a spiritual gift, Body, mind, spirit, days, dollars, deeds, that God's given to you something. It could be prayer. It could be service. It could be a talent, a skill, a wisdom, a supernatural download. It could be the ability to fund projects. It could be a variety of things. You know who you are. You know what your strengths are. You probably also know what your weaknesses are. And all I'm asking you guys to do is to own this together with the church in 2023, all of us doing our part. I really believe he's gonna do it. He's going to do, he's gonna provide everything we need. And I'm gonna say it's beginning with our first fruits. That's what we're doing today. Our first fruits showing up early on the very first day of the week, giving to God our attention and our heart, saying, write your word on my heart, and then giving to him the week as it goes on. And as we give to God our first fruits with our finances, with our tithe and our offerings, every single person at South Beach Church says, you know what I'm gonna do in 2023? We need to raise an extra million bucks. I'm gonna tithe. I don't know if you tithe or not. That's between you and the Lord. I don't know the finances in that rate. I don't check the donors. I don't look at that stuff. It messes with my head. And so I haven't done that in many, many years, 10 years, 12 years. That's between you and the Lord. But I would say this. Ask God, what does he want you to do for his glory and for others' good? Ask him. Matter of fact, let me just read to you out of Exodus 35, 21. This is when they were building the tabernacle and Moses was leading them out of Egypt and the people were so blessed at what God had done in their lives. It says then, Exodus 35, 21, it might be on the screens. Then everyone came whose heart was stirred and everyone whose spirit was willing and they brought the Lord's offering for the work of the tabernacle of meeting, for all its service, and for the holy garments, a.k.a. the hoodies. That's what they had there. And it says that the people's hearts were stirred, the ones who saw it. And I just want you guys to know God has not led us this far just to lead us this far. He's led us this far to continue the work, to continue the mission. It's going to be so fun. I'm choosing not to stress. I'm choosing fully to trust that God is going to provide don't miss the opportunity to be a part of that. We're gonna set some more targeted days. April 1st is gonna be the next one to raise a certain amount of money. I haven't determined that yet. We're gonna pray and seek the Lord. On April 1st, we're hoping that the congregation will say, hey, my heart's stirred. My heart's stirred. And I'm gonna make sure that the tabernacle of the Lord is built. And we're gonna set a, a, a dollar amount for April 1st. And I just want you to be praying with your wife, praying with your, with your God and saying, Lord, what, what can I do? What can I do for this unique project? What can I do moving forward? What's my, what's my two mites that I have? And may the Lord guide us, may he use us, and may our hearts be knit together with this project. I'll share just one quick story. Years ago, I prayed in that green room there with a bunch of pastors from Oregon. We met, and my prayer request about seven or eight years ago, it was a long time ago, I said, man, I need prayer, guys. 
I have to build a church, and I don't want to. I don't know how to. We've been trying this for nine years, thinking this through, but, but I'll do it. I'm not a baby. And this one guy in there said, Luke, how awesome is that going to be? Your church has grown. There's a lot of people that you don't even know that well. And they've all come at different intersections of the church growth, and they've all seen different seasons of the church. And this next season, there's going to be a threshold that the whole church is going to cross. It's called the, the threshold of a new building. Every single person in your church is going to experience the same season together, and they're going to be knit together and melded together. And this is going to galvanize your church like no other opportunity. And as he was speaking, I said, like, what? This is going to be so fun. This is going to be so fun. It's going to be so fun to see the Lord lead us and guide us in that way. So let's just commit that to prayer real quick. Father, in Jesus' name, we do believe that you have not led us this far just to lead us this far. And I pray in Jesus' name that you would like raise us up to continue to hear your voice, to respond, Lord. Strengthen our hands, Lord. Use us, Lord, to build the building. Use us, Lord, to be a witness, to be the light. May every single man, every single woman here say, yeah, I wanna be a part of that. Volunteer teams and opportunities to serve. Lord, tomorrow we're gonna be up there with tractors and bulldozers. We're gonna be pushing down trees and cutting up firewood and hanging out in the sun. And Lord, I just pray you bring volunteers. I just bring people to, to bring sandwiches or something and just hang out and pray. Just, Lord, let that hill be a place of fellowship and work as the tabernacle is built. We thank you so much. And we also, Lord, give up our own hearts to you right now and say, would you build the tabernacle, Lord, of our lives? May we be, Lord, more available to you during this time of study. And we thank you, Jesus, for all you've done. Do more, we pray, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Hey, take your Bibles now, Joshua 10. Don't you guys love God's word? Are you guys excited to study God's word? I hope you're excited to study God's word. Lean in. There are some study notes on the chairs you're sitting in. I would encourage you to write things down because I'm going to say a lot and you're going to forget most of it. The Bible says not to be hearers only, but to be doers. I have lists on my phone that say I got to do stuff because if I don't write that stuff down, I don't get stuff done. So jot some things down today. We're going to cover 43 verses today of Bible study. The Bible says of itself that it's alive, it's active, it doesn't return void, it discerns hearts and intentions, it renews our our heart and our soul, so God is going to have his way. Let's read six verses out of chapter 10. This is a famous chapter. It's the chapter where the sun stood still. Joshua goes to battle against Adonai Zedek and a bunch of other kings, and he needs more daylight, and he's looking. He's got more work to do, and so he declares to God, sun, stand still. Now, our prayer in Newport is, sun, please come out, you know, totally different prayer, you know. And the Bible says that the sun didn't go down all day and he continued to battle until he got the job done. It's a famous story. Let's study it now and see if we can find some application to our lives. Look at verse one. It says, now it came to pass when Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had taken Ai and had utterly destroyed it as he had done to Jericho and its king and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them, that they feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city, like one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai, and all of its, mighty, and all of its men were mighty. Therefore, Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent to Hoham, king of Hebron, Piram, king of Jarmuth, Japhia, king of Lachish, and Debir, king of Eglon, saying, come up to me and help me that we may attack Gibeon, for he has made peace with Joshua and with the children of Israel. Therefore, the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon gathered together and went up in all their armies and encamped before Gibeon and made war against it. Whoa, such an epic battle scene. Can you guys see it in your mind's eye? 
Adonai Zedek sees Gibeon, his buddy. They're all Gentiles. They're all Amorites. They're all Canaanites. They're all living in this region. And he hears that Gibeon has made peace with Joshua and with Israel. And he says, what? Those guys made peace with Joshua and Israel? And so Adonai Zedek goes to Hoham. He's just kind of a mediocre king, Hoham. You know, he's just kind of a, he goes to Hoham and all these Jabir and Debir and the bears and gets all these other kings And he says, guys, let's form a confederation, an alliance, and let's go beat up Gibeon, who sold us out. And he went and teamed up with Joshua, this Gentile and Jew alliance that's happening here in the promised land. And let me just make this simple application that when you turn your life over to God, when you turn your life over to our greater than Joshua, to Jesus, when you turn your life over to the Prince of Peace, and to the people of God, and to the mission of God, okay, make sure you expect to be attacked on all fronts from satanic forces, from the worldly ways, from the wisdoms all around us, from your own flesh. Have you experienced this? When you gave your life to Jesus Christ, where some of your closest friends, maybe family members, maybe coworkers, did they all look at you like you were cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs? They did me. Man, I was one of the most, I shouldn't brag, and I'm not bragging at all, but I was, I, was a, I was a bad guy. I was a bad guy. Let's just put it there. I was a bad guy in Ashland. I did bad things, and then Jesus saved my soul, and when he saved my soul, all the other bad guys around me didn't start clapping and weren't proud of me. On the contrary, man, they wanted to kill me. Is that confusing? Let me just remind you. Over this last couple weeks and months, I've been really taking comfort in Jesus, in that Jesus was perfect. He's the Christ. Never did anything wrong, always did everything right. Only loving, only caring, only serving, only perfect. And the world misunderstood him. The world criticized him. The world accused him. The world rejected him. And the world murdered him. How crazy is that? How many of you in here this morning are are perfect in all you've done? Anybody always have pure motives? Anybody in here always doing good and never doing bad? Looking behind the pole. Anybody? Nobody? And we've all been misunderstood. We've all been slandered. We've all been attacked. And it hurts and it's, it's never fun. But if Jesus, who was perfect in all his ways and never did anything wrong, endured persecution and suffering and ultimately death and murder, how much more so should we expect that? Jesus actually said, you're not greater than your master, are you? No, we're not well, then don't expect to be treated any differently than your master. And I say that because every once in a while, I feel like a fish out of water. Every once in a while, I feel like I I don't fit into this worldly system. I don't feel like I'm liked and wanted and appreciated by every single person in the world. And the reality is, is if Jesus wasn't, well, neither are you going to be. How do we settle into that then? We trust the Lord. Gibeon, Gibeon. Gibeon. Gibeon went to Joshua and to the children of Israel, and they actually dressed wrongly and falsely identified as travelers from a distant nation, and through deceit and trickery, tricked Joshua into signing a peace treaty with them, and now they're going to be on that allegiance with Joshua, and so they've made peace and an alliance with him, even through falsehood. Yet nonetheless, the contract was binding, and now Joshua sees them, and they see themselves as an extension of the children of Israel. This is an Old Testament story that illustrates a New Testament principle that we too, like the Gibeonites, are not perfect, imperfect at best, even in our base nature, deceitful, trickers, weirdos, wrongdoers, and yet we've also found ourselves making peace with the greater than Joshua. Joshua is the Hebrew word for the Greek word Jesus. 
Joshua is a foreshadow, a type of Jesus who takes Gentiles like you and me, sinners, rejects, has-beens, wannabes, and he forgives us. And Jesus actually said on the night that he was betrayed, take and drink this. This is my blood, a new covenant. It's a new contract with you. It's a promise. In my blood, I'll take care of you. All whosoever would come into my presence and call upon me, I will in no wise cast out. So we see this culmination here, this picture, this beautiful picture of the Gibeonites getting saved by Joshua and the children of Israel. But right on the heels of their salvation comes attack. And if you've experienced this attack, if you've experienced this setback, can you just know that you're in great, great, great company with Jesus Christ? Great company. The Bible actually says in the book of Exodus chapter 12, God declares to Abraham, he says, people who bless you, Abraham, I'm gonna bless. People who curse you, I'm gonna curse. This is the household of faith. God sees his own. He says, I'll bless you. I'll care for you. And if anybody comes against you, watch out. I got your back. They'll be cursed. To be surprised at this, because I've been surprised when I'm rejected. I've been surprised when my, my relationships fizzle because of the ways of God don't integrate with the ways of the world. I remember I was a drug dealer when I gave my life to Jesus in Ashland, Oregon, and I started to walk with God, and, and in my backpack I had some drugs, and in my backpack I had a Bible. Those two don't mix, just so you guys know, just so you guys know. And so eventually the Bible took precedence, and I gave all my drugs away, and I was still living in a drug house with other drug dealers, and I had my big Bible out, and so we'd have parties, and, and the parties weren't very cool anymore because I'd be sitting on the living room couch, you know, reading my Bible, witnessing to people, all the bongs were being passed around and all this, and eventually I had to separate myself from that environment. I moved into a Christian discipleship house. We called it the mustard seed. I actually called it the ghetto because it was really bad. And so I remember I slept on the bottom bunk and Jeremy Haskell on the top bunk and Adam Pearson on the floor next to me and Mike Swinford in the other room and a homeless guy named Kirby downstairs. Man, it was awesome. Yet there was a separation from the ways of this world. And can I encourage you, if you're struggling in that area right now, I'm just trying to be in the world a little bit and in, in God a little bit because I just don't want to go all in for the Lord. You have to go all in for the Lord. You can't have any allegiance to the ways of the world. The ways of the world are fading. They are anti-Christ. First John tells us that. And if you're in high school right now, or you're in college, or a young adult, or you're in the workforce, and you feel like your Jesus is real short, offends people, it's because it does. And it's not just the shirt, but it's the spirit of God in you, the spirit of life. But how important it is that that spirit of God is bright and shiny. These guys, Adonai, Zedek, and Hoham, and all these guys, they saw the Gibeonites, and they knew something was different about them. May it be so with you. May it be so with me. May it be so with us. Now, all this is happening. Now, it says here in verse 1, I'm just going to kind of teach verses 1 through 6 a little differently. Verse 1, it says, now Adonai Zedek, the king of Jerusalem, heard about the Gibeonites. How many of you guys have uh, heard of Adonai Zedek before? Raise your hand. You know all about Adonai Zedek. He's your favorite Bible story. He's in the Bible twice. He's probably your favorite. Anybody? Nobody, nobody's heard of him. Two, two people raise their hand. How many of you guys have heard of Jerusalem? Okay, half of you. Come on, guys. Jerusalem! Jerusalem. Now, how many guys did not know that Adonai Zedek was the king of Jerusalem? This is the first mention of Jerusalem in the Bible. It's never been mentioned up until this point. And up until this point, we did not have control over Jerusalem. Adonai Zedek did until this point. How many of you guys, you don't need to raise your hand anymore, know, though, that Jerusalem is a big deal to the Jewish people? It's the city of David. As a matter of fact, we're going to be in the city of David in just a couple weeks from now, March 23rd. We're going over to Israel, and we spend the first portion of our tour in the northern hemisphere of Israel, in the Golan Heights, and in Caesarea Philippi, and 
in, in Capernaum and in Galilee. And then we spend the second half, we drive down to Jerusalem, about 70 miles or so. And when you're driving into Jerusalem, here's what happens. You drive in and the bus driver stops everyone. Guys, going into Jerusalem. And he plays a certain song. I can't remember what it's like, a national anthem or something. And it's a big deal. And most of the people on the bus start to weep. It's just crazy things. Matter of fact, it's called Jerusalem Syndrome. It's, it's so intense. Not, no, don't get Jerusalem Syndrome. A lot of people find themselves, though, struggling with this overwhelmingness when they get into Jerusalem. Some people are so impacted by Jerusalem, they actually identify with biblical characters, and they become mentally deranged for a season. Google it or not. But anyways, it's, <laughs> Jerusalem's a big deal. It's a city of David. It's up on a hill, 35,000, 3,500 feet in elevation. Now, let me just make the connection here before I run out of time, and I want to make the connection at the end of the Bible study, too. Adonai Zedek is the king of Jerusalem. Who's Adonai Zedek? Nobody knows. But we do know that the children of Israel esteemed Jerusalem. And the only way that this came into being, the way that they came into being gifted this in the promised land, was through trial, testing, difficulty, setback, and persecution. Right now, the things you're going through in your life that are difficult, testing, persecution, trials, setbacks, all this stuff. Oh, why is this happening? Why is this happening? Why am I going through this? Why is my marriage going through this? Why is my relationships going through this? Why is my ministry struggling in this way? Because the Lord says, I'm taking from the enemy those roots out of what I've given to you. And I am declaring and building those things which I have predestined for you. I'm doing something. I'm working right now. And this started, this Adonai Zedek Jerusalem conflict started sad and bad and with an opposition and persecution. And yet we know that God works all things together for good for those who love him. Did you know that the Bible records the word Jerusalem over 700 times? It is a big deal. Now I just say that kind of uh, conflictingly or what's the word uh, when you're trying to fight somebody. Anyways, I'm gonna say this. Did you know that, that it is known historically that the Jews have dwelt in Jerusalem for thousands and thousands and thousands of rightful years? God gave them and promised them this land. It is theirs. Amen? There are some who say it's not. There are some who say it's the, the Palestinian regime and, and the Muslims. As a matter of fact, if you go to Israel today, there is the Dome of the Rock Mosque that was built, I think, around 800 or maybe 1300 A.D. It's a long time ago, but not too long ago. There on the Temple Mountain, there's a conflict between the Jewish people and the Muslim people. And the Muslim people say, this is our second most holy site in our faith. To which I say, second most holy site? Wow. How many times is Jerusalem mentioned in the Koran? Does anyone know? Starts with hero, rhymes with Z. Wait, starts with zero. It's not in their book at all. It never was mentioned. Jerusalem's not mentioned in the Koran one time at all. But somehow through satanic conflict and chaos, this Dome of the Rock was erected through deceit and trickery and craftiness and now is a hotbed of Difficulty, which, by the way, fulfills prophecy. Don't be surprised at the trial. Zechariah chapter 14 details that the city of Jerusalem would be a cup of trembling, a hotbed for all nations. And it declares that not one nation anywhere on planet Earth would ever be able to figure out what to do with Jerusalem. This little place that's as big as New Jersey, nobody would be able to figure it out. Now, when you're reading Zechariah, like, it's going to be that much trouble? It's pretty small. And if you look around that Middle Eastern territory, it's all Muslim-controlled, Muslim all over the place. You little old Israel, which is the hotbed of conflict. All that's to say, it started right here, where Adonai Zedek comes against Gibeon. And then look what happens in verse 7. 
This is where, verse 6, I should say. And the men of Gibeon, these are the guys that tricked Joshua, the guys that are now wondering what to do with their lives now that they're water carriers and woodcutters. You remember that from last week. And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp of Gilgal, saying, do not forsake your servants. Come up to us quickly. Save us and help us, for all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the mountains have gathered together against us. Stop right there, as of here. I love it. These are the Gibeonites. The Gibeonites. And they're in trouble. So what do they do? Joshua, help us. Now, these are the guys, the same guys that tricked and lied to Joshua, that deceived him into signing a contract. Now they're in big trouble, and they're calling Papa Josh, and they're saying, hey, help us. Now, if you were Joshua in the situation, what would you do? I would be like, uh, wrong number, sorry, you know? Not my problem. You got in a, ba- a big fight with your old neighbor, you know? It's not my problem. But I'm not Joshua. And this Joshua is a type of the greater than Joshua, Jesus. And so you know what this Joshua does? Let's read it in verse seven. It says, so Joshua ascended from Gilgal. He and all the people of war with him and all the mighty men of valor. Stop right there as up here. Just, just picture it. Joshua hears the Gibeonites are in trouble. He says, all right, let's go. The Gibeonites? Not, not Gad, not Asher, not, not the tribes of Israel. This renegade group, this, this group that should be dead anyways. And yet when Joshua hears about it, immediately he ascends. And this reminds me of the opening verse that we talked about today at worship. That the writer to the Hebrews told the Hebrews, hey, let us therefore now go boldly into the throne room of grace to obtain mercy and help in our time of need. These Gibeonites were so bold to cry out to Joshua for help. They realized and figured out, I bet you Joshua will help us. Joshua, he won't forsake us. How many of you in your time of need still feel that Jesus, our Christ, doesn't really have time for you? He's not interested in your silly little battles. It might even be a silly little battle that you got yourself into. Don't raise your hand, but how many of you need more help in your life because of the stupid stuff you've done rather than the stupid stuff somebody else has done? I am my own biggest problem. People ask how the church is doing. I say, just pray for their pastor. Just pray for their pastor. That's, the church is great. Just pray for their pastor. That's all I got to worry about is me. And here, these Gibeonites find themselves in trouble because of what they've done. They cry out to Joshua. Oh, how amazing is his grace. Oh, how good is he. How silly of us. This last week of prayer and fasting, I really sensed the Lord remove from me, at least, any sense of legalism, that I was doing it right or wrong. Just that the Lord said, it's not about you, Luke. I love you, man. Appreciate your pressing. It's awesome. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. I'm a good God. I'm a gracious God. I love you on your worst days. I love you on your best days. And when you know this, you're going to then love others on their worst day and on their best day. And you're going to help them have a proper theology of who God is, that he loves them. These Gibeonites cry out to Joshua. Joshua ascends and goes quickly. And as soon as he does, God, God, God up in heaven sees Joshua go into battle. And in verse 8, God speaks to Joshua. And you guys need to hear this word for yourself. Look at verse 8. And the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear them, for I have delivered them into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand before you. Stop right there, as I here. Yeah. yeah. Joshua does the next right thing. Oh, man, the Gibeonites are in trouble. All right, boys, we got to go. We got to go. By the way, go where? 25 miles away. 4,000 feet in elevation climb. There was no Ubers back then. 
No rightful trails, no systems. This was crazy. Let's go to battle for Gibeah. And as soon as he goes, God says, Joshua, don't be afraid. Be full of courage. I've given to you victory. Every man, every woman, no one will stand against you. This is why we love God's word. Because God's word speaks to us in conflict and in battle and in dark times, challenging times. God's word will never not give you exactly what you need in that moment. It will correct you, direct you, reproof you, equip you. It'll heal you. It'll renew you. His word. Do you know God's promises? It's been said that there are upwards of three, maybe 5,000, I've not counted them all, promises in God's word. Promises. And yet we check the account in our balance sometimes at the bank. Oh, we look at the strained relationship around us. Oh, we look at the 10-day forecast. <laughs> and all these things are against us. And the Lord says, hey, I'm for you. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. Be courageous. Wouldn't it be awesome if every single Christian in every single relationship and every single conflict was courageous and was not full of fear? Let's do that. The word of God has asked you, allowed you to, and equipped you to do those things. Sometimes we're wondering, well, 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 maybe when the conflict is over, when the resolution comes through, when I can see clearly, eh. that's not faith. And fear, by the way, is the opposite of faith. Faith. Just believe the Lord. Remember when Jesus told the disciples to get into the boat, go to the other side, and he immediately took a nap. Love that guy. Love it. And the storm raged. And these were seasoned fishermen. They knew this is bad. These, these waves are bigger than, than this is bad. We're going to die. And Jesus looked at him like, why would you think that? <laughs> CNN, Fox News, economy, gas, Elon Musk. Don't you know? <laughs> and God looked at them and he calmed the waves and got to their destination. Let's not be afraid. Where, where is faith mixed with fear? It doesn't. Notice this, though. Notice this, though. The cooperation of God's faithfulness. Verse 9. Joshua, therefore, came upon them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal. I've circled that verse because it's a contradiction verse. It says two different things. It says that Joshua came upon them. What's the word there? Suddenly. Boom. Having marched all night. How many guys know that marching all night is the opposite of suddenly? You know this, right? Marching all night is not suddenly. I've run 25 miles multiple times in my life, okay? And it's anything but sudden, okay? It is an endurance sport. It is crazy. These guys would go 25 miles from the lowest point of the earth there at the Dead Sea, the lowest point below sea level, all the way to this area in Gibeon where they would fight this battle. And it wasn't sudden. I just say that to say this. The suddenly, we know Joshua's talking about that they crept up, and when they got there, boom, they went into battle. That, that's where the suddenly comes in. And that's where the victory began. But there was a big run-up to get there. And can I encourage you right now, maybe those of you who's been journeying in your marriage or in your ministry for a season, and you're kind of wondering where the fruit is, what's going on. You feel like you've been marching all night, and you're wondering when God's going to do what God's going to do. God will do what God's going to do when God does what God does. Amen? Amen? Yesterday, I was up at the property, and we have these two Connex boxes there that store equipment there so stuff doesn't disappear. We can lock it up. And, and I kind of had, had to get up on top to do something. So I drove my truck up to it and I climbed out the window and I popped up. I didn't have a ladder. And I was walking around on top of the Connex yesterday and the rain was misting and kind of, you know, sunny coming through. And I was just looking at the land. And if you guys don't know the story of the land, we looked for land for nine years. Nine years. And, and we actually enjoyed, and, and I'll, I'll say it this way, we pretended to, to own that land for, for about three years. Okay, we just kind of pretended we got to know Dave Stoker. He's in the back there and Deborah. And, got to know, and we just kind of loved on the land as we let everything kind of settle. And as I was standing there yesterday looking at it, the Lord showed me. He's like, hey, look what happened. 
suddenly it's yours. Through a long journey, through long patience, through long trust, I just begin to rejoice. And I want you who are in a journey right now, maybe you're in a remodel project at your house. Maybe you're in the newness of your marriage. Maybe there's some stuff right now like, oh my gosh, this is hard. This is taking forever. And God will suddenly give you the victory. But there's no such thing as a sudden victory. It is faithfulness combined with God's commitment to you. He told Joshua, don't be afraid. Don't worry about nothing. Just get after it. And so they charge all night long. And I want to just find myself walking in that balance, we'll call it tension, where the Lord is going to bring fruit, like a farmer who puts seed into the ground and then waits and then waits and then there's fruit because God has pre-programmed the DNA structure of that seed to bear fruit. It will happen. It's going to happen. Do you trust the Lord today? Do you trust him? Joshua got up, ran all night long, and suddenly, now this gets even better. Joshua wrote this book, it went after it happened, years and years later, he's like, dude, we gotta write that stuff down. And so when he went back and wrote, he's like, remember that time that the Gibeonites got attacked, and Adonai Zedek, and Hoham, and Jerom, and Debeers, and all these guys, they were all there, remember that? You know the craziest part? Do you remember what happened after we got there? Let's read about it. It says this in verse 10. I love verse 10, because Joshua wrote this, so succinctly, and I love verse 11, and I love verse 12, but let's read verse 10. It says, so the Lord routed them before Israel and killed them with a great slaughter at Gibeon and chased them along the road that goes to Beth Haran and struck them down as far as Azekah and Makeda. Verse 10, I wanna read it again. He routed them, he killed them, he chased them, and he struck them. The Lord did all of this. Joshua, in retrospect, hindsight, 2020 says, oh yeah, we showed up to battle, blah, 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 blah. And it was the Lord who routed him, struck him, killed him, and chased him. Matter of fact, look at verse 11. And it happened as they fled before Israel, these are the bad kings, the five kings in their allegiance, that they were on the descent of Beth Haran, that the Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. There were more who died from the hailstones than the children of Israel killed with the sword. Stop right there, eyes up here. What is happening? Joshua shows up with his mighty men of valor. But in his own remembrance, he's like, you know what really happened though? The Lord chased him. The Lord routed him. The Lord killed him. The Lord slaughtered him. It was so crazy. While we were fighting with our little swords, doing what we do, all of a sudden hailstones came out of nowhere and they pummeled all these bad guys that had attacked Gibeon. And there were more hailstones that killed them than our swords that killed them. And not only were there more that were killed by the hailstones, but no children of Israel were struck by the hailstones. These were like smart hailstones, you know? Laser guided. It was just crazy. Joshua was like, do you remember that? That was so crazy. Hailstones, what the hell is going on? I said hail. Now let me say something. Did you know that throughout the Bible, God has taken authority over judgment? Genesis to Revelation. God judges. He judges. He brings hailstones. Oh, these guys are trying to pick a fight with Gibeon. Okay, well, not, not today. Hey, Joshua, do what I say, because I want to grow you. I want your faith to be part of this project. I'm not just going to build the church. I'm not just going to do it for you. I want you to participate. Okay, I want you to do your part. I will do, though, for you more than you'll ever do for me, just so you know. I will bring more hail. I will do it because I am the God of justice and righteousness and vengeance. And can you know this? Can you just believe this in your heart? God sees more, better, and further than you do. 
And what he asks us to do is to respond in obedience and love, but God will take out the bad guys around you. He'll judge the people. Now, on a very smaller level, we're not talking hailstones. One day that will happen. The book of Revelation details this exact same method for retribution on planet Earth. But right now, do you have anybody in your life that you just kind of want to see get hailed a little bit? (laughs) I don't know. I don't. You, You might. I don't have anybody like that. Let me just say this. Let the Lord do it. He's the judge. He knows better. He's asked us to love. He's asked us to serve. If you got a beef right now with somebody, let it go. Let it go. Let God do what God does. If you're estranged from a, a child or, or your spouse or a friend, as much as it is up to you, be at peace with all men. That's what the New Testament says. If they don't want to respond and they don't want to reciprocate, that's not on you. You Offer the olive branch. You be a peacemaker. Do not hold grudges. Do not hold judgment for yourself. You can't. You shouldn't. You ought not to. Let the Lord do it. More, more died this day by God's authority than by the hand and the sword of Joshua. And God will take care of it in the end. Are you guys worried about the end? Stop it. Don't worry about the end. He's got, I read the end. It's incredible. He takes care of it. And he asked us to be those who love. Now check this out. Man, I don't know if we're going to be able to do this. We're going to try, though. We're going to try. Check this out. Then, verse 12, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel, and he said in the sight of Israel, oh, Joshua goes on record. Everyone's listening. And he says this, son, stand still over Gibeon and moon in the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the people had revenge upon their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. And there has been no day like that before it or after it that the Lord heeded the voice of a man for the Lord fought for Israel. And then Joshua returned and all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. Stop right there, eyes up here. What in the world? As the hailstones are falling and the swords are swinging, Joshua surveys the scene. He says, there are so many people to kill today. That's what he says. We're not going to be able to get it done. We're just not going to be able to get it done. Hailstones are not. We're not gonna... And so all of a sudden, he steps out in faith, and he says to the Lord, sun, stand still. Moon, stand still. And the sun and the moon stopped in the rotation. Now, we could get into all kinds of conversations and debates We all know that the sun isn't actually moving, but the earth is moving, okay? So when we say that the sunrise was beautiful this morning, which it was, that's actually scientifically not accurate. The sun didn't rise. We we switched. We moved into face the sun. Okay, so when it says the sun stood still, you might, wait a minute here, I've got a beef with that. No, you don't. You're just being weird. (laughs) Let me say a few things, though, because some people have taken this, oh, man, just spun out. Do you guys remember the solar eclipse back in uh, 2017? Remember that? when we were able to predict the sun going behind the whatever, the moon or something, anything, and it just went dark for like 90 seconds, and it was like, oh my gosh, it was crazy, and you know, UFO abductions were happening everywhere, kidding, you know, but it's crazy. The things around us that God is in control of, did you know that in Antarctica in the summer, it is daylight for six months straight, midnight sun, they call it, six months of pure daylight, isn't that awesome? And then in the wintertime, it's six months of darkness, crazy phenomenons all over the world. Here, though, it says that one time only, never again did this happen, that the sun stood still in order that the job might be done. You could draw all kinds of applications. I would say this for those of you who are people of faith, though, that when God said it, I believe it. That settles it. I don't need to explain it. 
Because if you need to explain everything that God does or says or is, then he's not God. See, God is, God is sovereign and can do whatever God wants to do. This was settled, by the way, in Genesis 1. You guys ever read Genesis 1? In the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God made everything. Hebrews chapter 11 tells us that we know by the word the heavens were created. And if you can't fathom that miraculous power of God speaking and everything existing outside of the help of evolutionary time cycles, outside of the help of a big bang theory, outside of the help of any kind of things that we can, well, maybe, maybe he had some scientists help him, you know, maybe he had, God does what God wants to do. And that deserves a knee to bow in a tongue to confess to Jesus Christ and him alone. We know he, how did he do this? I don't know how he did this. I do know this though, he never did it again. Never again. See, there is a temptation within this kind of signs and wonders camp to put God in a box. Hey, let's make God do things that he's done before. Let's get formulas and write books on prophecies and miracles and, and, and all these giftings that, that he has done before. I'll tell you what, God's gonna do what God's gonna do the way God's gonna do it. Our temptation is to put him in a box and have you know, conferences about it. And we just, we just say, blab it and grab it and we're gonna get it, you know, and all these things. I don't like, I love when God does what God wants to do because I trust God more than I trust myself. And I've seen him do things where I didn't even expect him to do it that way. It's incredible, it's a miracle. And I've asked him to do the same thing. He says, no, I'm doing something different, Luke. I'm doing something different. I'm not gonna do it that way. Don't put me in a box. Well, God did all this. Joshua packed it up and went home. This is incredible, which by the way, would you just be sensitive to the Lord? Son, stand still. This same story is repeated in a very similar region, Jericho. It's in Mark chapter 10. I just taught it at chapel last week. And in Mark chapter 10, Jesus goes to Jericho and he's leaving and there's a blind man named Bartimaeus. And Bartimaeus hears it's Jesus. And Jesus is leaving, and Bartimaeus cries out for him to stay. And, and the Bible says, and the son stood still. Jesus. And Jesus walked up to blind Bartimaeus and said, what do you want? And blind Bartimaeus said, I want to see. And he said, then be healed. Go your way. And he was healed instantly. May the Lord give us sensitivity as well. And boldness. He went on record, Joshua did, to cry out this prayer with authority, to ask God to make the sun stand. Who does that? Who in the world would ask the sun to stand? So can you imagine if you're busy, you're like, oh my gosh, there's so many more people to kill, and it's almost quitting time. <laughs> hey, Lord, any way you could extend daylight for a whole day? And I wonder if God up in heaven, like throwing hailstones, like, what'd you say? <laughs> Did you just say sun stands still? Angels, did he just say sun stand still? What? Dude, let's do it. I don't know what kind of God you serve. That's the kind of God I serve. He looks at a, he, I got kids. They're, they're asked for stupid stuff. And I love my kids. And, we, and as we, his heart. It reminds me of Peter when Peter said, Lord, if that's you walking on the water, can I walk on water? And Jesus must have in his thoughts thought, what'd you say? You want to walk on water? Let's do it. And Pete walked on water for no other reason than to walk on water. There was no reason for that miracle. What are you ashamed of to ask the Lord for help in? What are you willing just to just accept, defeat, darkness? I opened my hand wide with this one. Because the Apostle Paul asked to be healed three times, and the Lord said three times to him, No. And I appreciate that 
that obedience? My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. And yet, in your own sensitivity with the Lord, what is it that right now you're battling in something and, it's, and the Lord says, I want you to have more faith. Ask me. Step out. Ask me. Do it. The worst that the Lord can say is no. Because he has something better for you. The worst he can say is no. And he won't say it in an angry way. I think the Lord wants us to be sensitive to him and bold. I believe this pleased the Lord so much when Joshua saw the hailstones coming down. And Joshua cried out to the Lord for, for more light, a miracle. It was what was needed in that moment. It never happened again. Guys, can we finish the rest of the chapter in two minutes? I think we can. But these five kings had fled. Look at verse 16. And they'd hidden themselves in the cave at Makeda. Man, these guys are just like normal dudes, hiding in their man cave with a bunch of power tools. The, the cave with their, at Makeda. You guys, I don't know if you saw that. These, these guys are just hiding out. And it was told Joshua, saying, the five kings have been found hidden in the cave at Makeda. So Joshua said, roll large stones against the mouth of the cave and set men by it to guard them. And do not stay there yourselves, but pursue your enemies and attack the rear guard. Do not allow them to enter their cities, for the Lord your God has delivered them into your hand. You know what he says here? These five kings are posted up, they're hidden. Well, block them off, but you know what we need to do? We need to go mop up the rest of these bad guys. We need to get after this other areas of sin in our life. There's a term in boxing called no quarter which is when you're boxing your opponent and your opponent is kind of on the ropes and he's kind of suffering and instead of backing off and letting him recover, you go harder. You make no provision for the flesh, for the lust to fulfill it. How much victory do you want in your life right now? It's a great question. You want just a little bit? You want just, just fire insurance? Anybody just want fire insurance? I just don't wanna go to hell. I don't wanna go to hell. I don't wanna go to hell. I just need fire insurance. Or do you want the Lord to continue to do a work in you? They've already got the victory. Joshua says, okay, lights on, hailstones falling. Don't let anyone go. Get after it. And can I just encourage you in your pursuit of holiness and righteousness and wisdom and grace and knowledge, don't settle for just a little bit. Don't settle for just a little bit. Sometimes we go to the gas station with three or four bucks. I just take three or four bucks. And we go to God. I, just want, I don't want to fill. It's crazy. Can't afford that. And after this week of prayer and fasting, I had to repent and say, Lord, forgive me for those areas where I'm just kind of letting things just kind of deal and simmer on the side. No, all or nothing. Let's keep reading and read quickly. Then it happened while Joshua, verse 20, and the children of Israel made an end of slaying them with a very great slaughter till they had all finished that those who escaped entered the fortified cities. A few people did get away. They'll deal with them, verse 21. And the people returned to the camp, to Joshua, to Makeda, in peace, and no one moved his tongue against any of the children of Israel. There's some bad guys standing around. Nobody's talking trash anymore. Did you know the Bible declares that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord? 
there will be a day when our greater than Joshua, Jesus Christ, rules and reigns, where there will be no trash talking, there will be no pessimists, no critics at all, only people giving him praise as the separation begins. Verse 22, then Joshua said, open the mouth of the cave and bring out those five kings to me from the cave. And they did so. And they brought out those five kings to him from the cave, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon. And so it was when they brought out those kings to Joshua that Joshua called for all the men of Israel and said to the captains of war who went with him, come near and put your feet on the necks of these kings. And they drew near and they put their feet on their necks. And then Joshua said to them, do not be afraid nor be dismayed. Be strong and of good courage for thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. Stop right there. This is crazy. Five kings, feet on their neck. This is the Old Testament Great Commission. There is a New Testament Great Commission where our greater than Joshua conquered sin and death, having taken his own foot, crushing the head of the serpent, and then standing on the Mount of Olives saying, now go into all the world, fear not, preach the gospel, go and baptize and forgive and be the light of the world. And Jesus sent them out. The Old Testament commission is right here where Joshua, as an example of his victory, in order that his fighters, his warriors would see, guess what, guys? No one formed against you will prosper. Do not be afraid. They needed this. This was an object lesson. How many of you guys are still trying to imagine what it looks like to have five kings with their necks you know, on the ground? This would be brutal. Did you know that the Bible says in Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15, that when Jesus died on the cross, listen, he made a public spectacle of the devil having disarmed him, having, writing, having paid for the handwriting of requirements that was against you, that what Jesus did was publicly and spiritually paraded. This all is a foreshadowing. Oh my gosh, it's 1028. We gotta finish the chapter though. Listen, look at verse 26. And afterward, Joshua struck them and killed them and hanged them on five trees. And they were hanging on the trees until evening. And so it was at the time of the going down of the sun that Joshua commanded. And they took them down from the trees, cast them into the cave where they had been hidden and laid large stones against the cave's mouth, which remain until this day. Keep reading with me. On that day, Joshua took Makeda and he struck it and its king with the edge of the sword. He utterly destroyed them, all the people who were in it. He let none remain. He also did to the king of Makeda as he had done to the king of Jericho. And then Joshua passed from Makeda and all Israel with him to Libna and they fought against Libna. And the Lord also delivered it and its king into the hand of Israel. He struck it and all the people who were with it by the edge of the sword. He let none remain in it, but did to it as its king, as he had done to the king of Jericho. Now verses 31 through 41, I'm gonna read in succession just as I just did. And it's a continued record of all of the kings that he then slaughtered with the edge of the sword. Okay, this is an actual scene that has been taken out of uh, Rambo 5. I don't know if you guys saw Rambo 5. <laughs> Rambo 5 was unnecessarily bloody and brutal. Man, don't see it if you did. Just take communion twice today. And this is crazy. And I just need to get to the end here. It says this in verse 30, 31. Then Joshua passed from Libna and all Israel with him to Lachish. And they encamped against it and fought against it. And the Lord delivered Lachish into the hand of Israel who took it on the second day and struck it. And all the people were in it with the edge of the sword according to all that he had done in Libna. Then Horam, king of Gezer, came up to help 
help Lachish, and Joshua struck him and his people being, until he left him none remaining. From Lachish, Joshua passed to Eglon and all Israel with him, and they encamped against it and fought against it. They took it on that day and struck it with the edge of the sword. All the people who were there utterly destroyed that day according to all that he had done to Lachish. So Joshua went up from Eglon and all Israel with him. To Hebron. So they fought against it, and they took it and struck it with the edge of the sword, its king, its cities, and all the people who were in it. He left none remaining according to all that he had done to Eglon, but utterly destroyed it and all the people who were in it. Then Joshua returned to Israel with him to Debir, and they fought against it, and they took it and its kings and all its cities, and they struck them with the edge of the sword and utterly destroyed all the people who were in it. He left none remaining as he had done to Hebron, so he did to Debir and its king, and he had done to Libna and its king, verses 40 and 41 and 42. I want you guys to lean into this. So Joshua conquered all the land, the mountain country, and the south, and the lowland, and the wilderness slopes, and all their kings. He left none remaining, but utterly destroyed all that breathed, as the Lord God of Israel had commanded. And Joshua conquered them from Kadesh Barnea as far as Gaza and the country of Goshen, even as far as Gibeon. Verse 42, all these kings and their land Joshua took at one time because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. Then Joshua returned and all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. A couple final thoughts and we'll end with that. These five kings were conquered at one time. But it all started with conflict. It all started with an attack, unprovoked if you would. Adonai Zedek grabs a bunch of guys. Hey, let's go attack Gibeon. Let's go attack Joshua in this way. Joshua is called upon. He rises up. Hailstones start flying. Difficulty and slaughter. And all the while, listen, God is accomplishing his perfect will for the children of Israel. All the while, God is doing what he's commanded them to do. And in your trials and in your battles, some that you're fighting right now that you didn't ask upon yourself, you didn't volunteer for this, you didn't try and pick a fight with this person or with this issue. And yet God says, oh, no, no, I'm establishing Jerusalem in you. See, Jerusalem is owned by Adonai Zedek at this point. This is gonna be very special for you. This is gonna be very important for you. This is going to be monumental and foundational for your faith. You don't know what I'm doing right now. But when I am done, you will praise, you will worship, just like Joseph did. When Joseph, in the last chapter of the book of Genesis, said, hey, what Satan meant for evil, what you meant for evil, what was evil, God redeemed for good. Oh, I see it now. I see the difficulty, I see the loss, I see the attack, where my faith was being riddled where I buried my child and I had to consider, is God good? Does God not see me? Where my marriage dissolved and I wonder, what happened, Lord? Where relationships were strained, where your health was taken from you and you look at God and say, do you not see my battle? And the Lord says, I'm building for you something more precious. Trust me, I'm building something for you. I'm building something in you. Would you guys bow your heads and close your eyes? We're just gonna end in prayer and ask God to cement all of these things into our hearts. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you. And Lord, I for one bow before you and I ask, God, that you would give me, Lord, that greater faith, that you, Lord, would work in us. And if you're here this morning, you would say, I'm in a battle, and I just want the Lord to have his way, have his purpose in me. Would you just right now, by faith, raise up your hand and just say, yes, Lord, in my marriage, in my ministry, Lord, I feel like I'm under attack. I feel like there's battles going on in my life, and I want to trust you. 
that in this day, Lord, you're doing something good. Lord, and I raise both my hands by way of worship to you in Jesus' name. Have your way here at South Beach Church, Lord, and in Luke Frechette's heart and in my family's heart. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We trust you no matter what. May we put our eyes firmly on you, Lord. Have your way. Lead us and guide us. You can put your hands down. Lord, we pray for an anointing and a humbling to be ours, Lord, this week. That we would trust you for the judgment, Lord, on the things that we're frustrated by. That we would trust you, Lord, for the provision. That we would pray those crazy prayers, Lord, like Joshua did, like Pete did. That we would say, Lord, we need you to do these things. We thank you for your word, may not return void. Thank you, God. Bless us. Keep us safe tomorrow at the property as we're cutting down trees, Lord, and making firewood and kind of clearing stuff. Lord, I pray you just bless us. Thank you for the sun, the dry weather for the next four days. Just, uh, Lord, we pray that you uh, elongate that, Lord, just to let the sun keep coming out. We, we appreciate that. And we thank you, Jesus, for all you've done. Bless us, Lord. Continue to bless the youth group as they drive home. We give our lives to you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said... Amen and amen. Hey, we did 43 chapters or 43 verses. That might be a record. And uh, so good job, you guys. All of Joshua 10, I felt it needed to be uh, taught in context. Read it again at your life groups. I love you. Uh, Come visit us at the property tomorrow. Bring a hard hat and uh, we'll uh, be out there. God bless you guys. You are dismissed. I, I heard that it's Don Withrow's birthday today. Happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday dear Don, happy birthday to you, love you Don. Guys, take your communion packets with you and go find a spot outside and take communion in your car in the sun, worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. You're dismissed.